To start changing our behaviors, we must first change our hearts. We often ask life, what is the meaning? And it is life that asks us, what is the meaning? And our answer are the behaviors and actions that we take. So today's episode, we'll be piggybacking off of the previous episode, in which we talked about, what should we change? What is it that I can do to be a better person? And we went through so many different things that I certainly need to work on myself. You know, New Year's is around the corner. We had drawn our attention to that, but also realizing that we can start this anytime. And we threw in, well, we can do the usual suspects such as physical activity, nutrition, sleep, alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs. And it could also be other things like how we can foster and develop healthier friendships, forgiveness, practice virtues such as gratitude and appreciation and so many other things. So check out the episode. And that was just a brainstorming, really do a good soul search on what it is we need to improve our lives and come up with whatever that might be. And then this episode is going to be more how do we do it? So the previous episode was the what, this is going to be the how. Welcome to the dojo. So New Year's resolutions gets a big knock because most people know that we don't tend to keep the New Year's resolution. A high percentage of people end up giving up on it within the month that they begin it. And nearly, I think it's a very small percentage see it through through the rest of the year. And so when people are, you know, either trying to lose weight or quit smoking, you know, it's like an 80, 90 percent failure rate. But it's an 80, 90% failure rate no matter what time people of year people are incurring these behavior changes. When we look at behavior change, it is very difficult. So no matter if it's a New Year's resolution or it's done at any other time of year, when you look at the rate of failure, I'm doing air quotes once again, um, you know, 90% of people will gain the weight back, 90% of the people will return to smoking, and even leaving unhealthy relationships, it takes like eight or 10 times to leave an unhealthy relationship. However, when people are successful with losing weight, quitting smoking, or leaving a relationship, it takes eight to 10 times, and it's a cycle. It's a cycle, it's not a linear thing. So it's part of the process is starting a behavior change, not succeeding, kind of falling off the wagon, so to speak, then going back to it, then quitting or taking up the new behavior and then going back to it. So it's a cycle. And part of the change is going through this process. So that's a huge thing to point out. I think going into the how-tos is realizing that if we are taking on a new behavior change that has been tried before, just realize that it's part of the process of ultimately spinning ourselves out of this cycle and into an area of sustained change. And that's just the nature of behavioral change. This is something that is really fascinating to me. Why do people do what they do? We are just so interesting in terms of our life experiences and our attitudes, our beliefs, our education, our skills. There's so much that makes who we are, who we are, that really goes into whether or not we adapt and, and can take on a behavioral change. And it's just fascinating. There's all kinds of you know, practical and theoretical 
applications that are out there that can explain a lot of these things. It's so in my wheelhouse and really just love studying it because it is real. It is something that affects all of us and our choices that we make. And so today we're going to get into the how, but the how really is all about starting out with the why, the clarity, the what, the mindset that we have. And then when we get into the how, it's the specific strategies and habits that we have. So the how-to really starts out with why. Well, why are we doing what we're doing? In the last episode, again, we threw out a lot of things that we could take on. And when you identify what that is, ask yourself, why am I choosing this? Why is this so important for me to be either taking on and doing or something that I'm not doing and trying to give up? Is it the right thing for me to be able to do? And am I wanting this, the why, you know, is it the right thing for the right reasons? So maybe, you know, I'm looking to lose weight. We'll stick with weight management. But why am I wanting to do it? You know, is it because, you know, I want to look good in a swimsuit for the summer? Is there a wedding that I'm going to that I want to look good at? Okay, That might be good short-term motivation, but what happens after summer passes, after the wedding happens, maybe that wasn't the, you know, could be the right thing to lose weight or, but it could be for the wrong reasons. You know, maybe it's, we want to look good to other people versus, you know what? I want to do it because it's healthy for me. I could live a longer life, might improve kind of my overall feelings about myself, could give me a little confidence. Those are much more longer-term reasons to do the thing. So the right thing to do, but also accompanied for the right reasons to do it in the why. So understanding why we are doing what we are doing is so very important to do it for the right reasons. And certainly society sells us a bill of goods on what you know success looks like. So success, according to society, you know, you get educated, get your degrees, get the job, whatever jobs that are seen to be very favorable in society's eyes, you know, get the money to get the house, to get the car, to get the right looking partner and X, Y, and Z. And so we can sometimes fall into the trap of really aspiring to get the things in society that sells what it is that we ultimately are wanting. And we do things without understanding why we're doing them. And a lot of times people that are chasing that degree or chasing that job title or chasing the materialism, ultimately when they get it, find it to be very unsatisfying because they were chasing something that wasn't really what they wanted. It was something else that other people wanted or society wanted. I saw this all the time when I was teaching a professor in college And so many students were majoring in something that wasn't really true to who they were. You know, they were doing it because they thought others that they were seeking approval from, whether it was their family, their friends, what society was telling them. I'm going to go be an MD. I'm going to go be a doctor. I'm going to go be a lawyer. I'm going to go be an engineer. Not because they were really truly wanting it in their heart, because they, you know, were seeking the things that they thought were successful because that was sold to them. And it really wasn't true to who they were. It really wasn't underlying the why of what they really wanted to do. And so why doing something has got to really be into our true nature, who our authentic selves are and connecting with that. Some people go into relationships because they're lonely, because they're lonely. Is that the right reason to necessarily go into a relationship? I don't know. Um, Perhaps addressing our own loneliness and overcoming that. And when we do, we might be in a healthier place to actually be in a healthy relationship. 
again, why are we doing the things that we want to do? And for me, understanding our why really means understanding our values. What is important to us? What do we value? Is it our health? And, and we're trying to take on something that's healthy for us. It's going to be lined up. Do we value friendships? And if we're taking on, you know, how I can communicate better as a behavior change, then that's going to really line up to the values of, of something that's important to me. Am I empathetic towards other? That's a, an important value to me. So I'm going to take on volunteerism, you know, up in the new coming year. That really lines up and that matches. So really understanding our values, super important to be able to match that up. And then, you know, again, under the guise of gaining clarity, understanding our why and one, understanding our values, when we can line that up, don't be afraid of creating your own mission statement related to the behavior change that you're taking on. The very short, concise reason why you're doing this. It is my mission this upcoming year to make people feel more fulfilled and happier. And therefore, I'm going to volunteer you know, at least X number of times for this type of organization serving these type of people that really resonates with me in my heart. Boom, mission statement. It is going to be my mission this year to eat healthier because I really value my health and want to live a long life surrounded by good friends. My mission statement. So I can go to this throughout the year while I'm trying to incur the behavior change as something that I can really hold on to for clarity. So one part of the buckets on the how-to is clarity and really knowing our why. The next part of the bucket is the what. Okay, so what is it we're going to be kind of framework mindset that we're going to have in going into our behavioral change? Mindset is huge, and we talk a lot about growth mindset. So if we're going to be taking on something, doing something different, we have to believe that we can do it. Having a growth mindset means that I might not right now have, say, the, the education that I'm looking for, but I have the ability to learn what I need to learn in order to do what I'm seeking to do. I might not yet have it, but I believe in myself that I can get it. So for me, I'm learning a new language. I'm learning Portuguese. And so I believe in myself and my ability to learn the language, even though I might not have the language down yet to a level of fluency. Or, you know, I could be sitting there saying, okay, I'm going to learn a new language, but ultimately really deep down inside, I got a fixed mindset about my ability to do it. I'm too old to learn a new language. I'm too busy to new, learn a new language. And if I try and go learn that new language with this fixed mindset, there's no way that I'm ultimately going to be able to do that. So understanding my mindset, where that is at before I even go into incurring a behavior change is so very important to be able to do that. So embracing a real growth mindset with your ability to do that, especially if you've tried whatever you're going to try before in the past and it didn't work, understanding that it might not have worked in the past, but I still have the capacity to try and learn something, realizing that it is a cycle, changes the cycle. We go through times where we succeed at it and don't, again, like I said earlier. And then expectations, trying to align our mindset and the paradigm that we see going into this is huge. So many people don't achieve their behavioral change or their New Year's resolutions because they expectations on what they're trying to achieve is super high. They got like these big lofty goals. I'm going to lose, you know, 30 pounds within a month, or I'm going to exercise seven days a week, two hours a day. I'm going to go make a ton of friends. You know, I'm going to make 10 friends a week for X amount of time. 
Oftentimes, we're trying to do too much too soon. And when people aren't able to do that or even sustain it beyond a week or two, it's really easy to slip into giving something up. So aligning our expectations appropriately is huge. And the inverse might be true too. It's like, you know, not so small that actually you're not gaining anything either. So oftentimes it's more the inverse though. It's, it's more that people are, you know, setting their expectations really high. Looking at process versus the outcome is another kind of mindset to really go into change is that, okay, sticking with language, my outcome might be speaking Portuguese fluently. Well, that's a far off distance kind of thing. Maybe, you know, my goal shouldn't be that outcome. Maybe my goal should be just the process itself. I'm going to learn one new uh, Portuguese word a day. And if I do that, I've achieved my goal. So the process is the outcome. So if it was, you know, to be more physically fit, um, you know, maybe it's the process. I'm just going to make sure that I exercise three times a week for at least 10 minutes versus having a certain level of fitness that is like eligible to be a collegiate athlete or something that's down the road. Making the process part of it is very important to be able to do. Um, How we view our mindset, once again, how we view failure and success in terms of our behavioral change. One, One thing I would like to do is eliminate the word failure. I've said failure a bunch already in this podcast episode in terms of you know, most people don't achieve their behavioral change. The failure rate of smoking or weight management or leaving an unhealthy relationship is very high. You need to change that language, actually, because, again, it's part of the process. So we either win or we learn. That can be one thing that we, we go into this and thinking, you know, okay, maybe I didn't adhere to the behavioral change in the past. Or if we don't achieve what we're looking for now, what is it that we can learn that we can carry into the next attempt? Given that it takes many attempts to actually achieve a behavioral change, what is it we're learning? Okay, maybe we didn't achieve our goal, but what is it that we learned along the way that can be carried over into the next time that we do it and making sure that we understand that? And one of the things I think that's really important too in terms of our mindset and how we go into this, probably the most important thing is our identity. Identity. Who are we identifying ourselves as as we go into this? So if we identify ourselves as a smoker and we're trying to quit smoking, it is going to be really, really hard to actually give up smoking. So versus, you know, I'm somebody that, you know, has smoked in the past and now I'm going to give up and not identify myself as a smoker. If I want to take up reading, for instance, and my goal is to read a book, just get through a book, you know, identifying myself as a reader might be a really important thing to do, especially if I haven't been reading in the past. And if I can just read one page a day, one paragraph a day, that is going to align with who I've seen myself as with actually doing something even very small that proves to myself that I am a reader. Going back to the smoking one. So if I want to disidentify as being a smoker and I can go an hour without smoking, I can identify with that hour and take it into the next hour, which can become a day. And I can say within that day with that little win, I wasn't a smoker during that time. So disidentifying ourselves from that behavior and identifying a new one. So if I wasn't reading, okay, now I am reading. Even if it's a paragraph, I am a reader. It'll get me to that point where I actually do read a book because my identity is going to align with that. And we really tend to live up to our identity. You know, how we see ourselves, who we are, whether it's good or bad, we live up to it. And, and, and being consistent with who we identify ourselves is a level of gravity that pulls us into that direction. 
again, mindset, you know, understanding that whatever we're doing, um, we might start off very motivated to be able to do it. And then when motivation wanes and it's not there, what are we going to do? We're going to have to rely on our discipline and our habits to really carry us through. So a lot of times New Year's resolutions or behavior change doesn't stick because oftentimes when we, we do it, we're only doing it when we're motivated. And when motivation tends to go away, and if we don't have the discipline or habits that are built into place, we're going to end up giving up that habit or the behavioral change that we've taken on. So understanding as we go into this change, our mindset, the what it is that we have in terms of the mindset is going to be huge. So making sure that we have that in the back of our head. So we started out with clarity, the why mindset, the what, and now we're going to get to the brass taxes. Well, how do we actually take on a behavioral change? There's some real nuts and bolts here. The how I think is just where all the juice is to tell you the truth. So we got the things that people probably have heard of, but really making sure that we have these in place and uh, really work with these. These are things that are very important in terms of getting change to stick. So what these are, first of all, people probably heard a lot about goal setting. You know, identifying very specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-oriented goals, smart goals. So check out that if you don't know about goal setting. There is goal setting 101. Um, you know, there's a lot of evidence out there that shows when we do set these kind of very specific goals that, you know, we can measure over time that are realistic. Again, the expectation is not too high. We put a time marker onto it that they're more likely to be achieved. There's also very interesting research that shows, you know, perhaps goals aren't the end all be all. And it's the type of goals that we need to have. Again, more goals about, you know, choosing the right identity, more goals about process versus outcome. Uh, can be very important. So there's some nuances and and setting goals that are very important to be out there because you know once we achieve a goal, sometimes people will stop the behavioral change. Well, I, I I achieved my goal. So again, having an identity and a process change versus an outcome change may be very good. So one of the changes that we talked about last time on the dojo was well maybe I need to be more organized. Maybe I need to you know clean up my room. You know that can be a goal. Okay, now that your room's clean. Uh, you achieved your goal. But if you haven't changed the process, the day-to-day habits of keeping your room clean, making your bed, making sure there's nothing on the floor, things are put away in the drawers, those are individual habits that can be put into a goal of a process versus uh, a goal of an outcome to just clean my room and and do it at one time. Well, it's going to get to be a mess again if we're not making goals that are more process-oriented and perhaps that you identified yourself as a person who keeps their room clean and are doing those habits that align with then matching up to the identity that we're taking on. So be very careful in setting goals because if they're very outcome oriented, um, there's some limitations to it. So one, set goals, set the right goals, set the smart goals. Two, on the how-tos, education, skill development, and confidence. So anything that we're doing, whether we're taking on physical activity or nutrition, giving up alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs, sleeping, make better sleep health patterns, making friends, these all things are very important to get educated about. There's a lot of information out there about how to eat healthy, you know, how to give up bad habits that we might have, how to communicate better with other people. And with that education, knowledge is very important, but we also have to build these skills that are related to it. How do we cook? How do we prepare meals? How do we shop for healthy foods on a budget? 
if money's a thing. You know, how do we do that throughout the week? How do we avoid eating unhealthy while we're traveling, while we're at work and we get hungry? You know, there's skills in there that could be employed to ensure that we achieve that health behavior that we're looking for or that change that we're doing. A lot of skill development. If we want to make more friends, communication and learning how to communicate, whether it's verbally with our body language, you know, how we listen, how we articulate. Man, that is a huge skill to develop. So it's not just the education and knowing how to communicate better, but it's actually learning to communicate better. And that takes repetition. And through the repetition, learning to eat healthier, through the repetition, learning to communicate better, you know, through that skill development, we'll build confidence. And confidence is so important in terms of sustaining it. It's been uh, very much well documented in the research that those things that we feel more confident in doing, we're more likely to do. And I saw this when I volunteered for a program that I did a lot of my uh, research on. And we were taking people with intellectual disabilities and getting them physically active twice a week for an hour. So we had to educate them on the different types of physical activities that they could do. We had to adapt it for them and their capabilities. So we had to really educate them on it. And then we had to go through a step-by-step process on building their skills to do the activity. So we used education, showing them the activities that they could do, modified for their capabilities. Then we had to actually go through the reps you know, of showing them how to get the skills to do it. And then... After time, we would see their confidence just start to build to the point where they were doing it on their own. You know, it was modeled to them. We walked them through it. And then we started to wean them off of it to our involvement off of it to the point to where they were doing it on their own. And they were doing it with confidence. And they would be able to do it outside of the program and sustain it. It was awesome. So we educated them. We adapt to their skill levels. Went through the repetition of teaching them the physical activities. And then to the point to where they got it confident, we would then start to step back. They would start to step forward. And it was amazing. So education, skill, and confidence, number two. All right, number three on the how-tos, resources. Use resources. My goodness, there's so many resources out there on how to eat healthier, how to kick a bad habit, how to communicate better to people, how to keep your life organized, how to practice forgiveness of yourself or others. Whatever you're trying to take on, I guarantee there are so many different resources out there, You know, whether it's books, whether it's online video testimonials or how-tos or courses that you could be learning. There's so much out there that I guarantee is free as well. Probably, you know, it's podcast, right? Case in point here, we got a podcast going on. I bet there's a podcast related to any kind of behavioral change that you're taking on that you can learn about and really learn from others and what they're doing. My wife, you know, she got into cooking vegan for a while and, and still does. And she got it linked up to a community of people because that's what often comes around these resources that they're sharing recipes and ideas, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And it was a great resource for her to learn, to adapt, you know, a new way of eating that was just really awesome to have. And it was a social resource that was on top of that. So there's so many resources out there to help support whatever change that you're doing. So really throw yourself in there and get really interested and curious about how to go about doing that and milk those resources for all it's worth. That's number three. Number four, identify all the barriers that are out there that will inhibit you from succeeding in your behavioral change. You know, they call it kind of doing a, you know, a pre-mortem on why you won't succeed. You know, this kind of like idea, you know, what is it that could really prevent me from doing what I'm trying to do? Not to be negative, 
Okay, not to be negative, but uh, we called it in Stoicism, premeditatio malorium. So all the things that could go wrong, that could maybe go wrong, Murphy's Law, right? You know, thinking about it, you know, and I want to take on some physical activity. I want to walk more or roll more. You know, I want to do it outside, get closer to nature as I kind of do it. So I want to do that three times a week, 15 minutes each time. Well, what happens if the weather's bad? You know, what is my plan going to be then? Or if, um, you know, I have plans with somebody to do it and they're not able to link up with me to go do the walk or roll because I like to do it with social support. What am I going to do then? Having an alternative plan. What if I'm wanting to eat healthier and I'm traveling? I, I could recognize that that's going to be a big barrier for me to eat healthy. It's hard to eat healthy on the road. So if that happens, then what am I going to do? And when we come up with all the different ways that it could derail us, if I want to communicate better with people, to build more friendships, what am I going to do if someone says something rude to me? And it's somebody I'm you know, trying to become friends with. You know, and even though they might have said something rude to me, what am I going to do then? So if you can hear me, I'm saying if this happens, this barrier, this obstacle for me taking on a behavior, then what am I going to do? The if-then plans can then emerge. So identifying all the different barriers to achieving, you know, the behavior that we're trying to adhere to, the things that we're trying to give up on, you know, what if I'm trying to give up, say, alcohol, and I'm a sports fan, and I want to go to the big game, and there's going to be lots of alcohol that's there. All right, if I'm going to go to the game, then what am I going to do to make sure that I'm not drinking there? Okay, another if then. So I can start game planning ahead of time that when these things happen, I already have a plan in my back pocket to ensure that I'm going to be successful in the behavior change. So when we identify all the different barriers, we can come up with our if then game planning. So that's number four barriers. Time, number five, we've got to really manage our time. This finite, precious resource that we have. It's huge. And one of the biggest things that takes people off of their success in achieving a behavioral change is procrastination. Always putting it off into tomorrow. I'm not going to belabor this point because I've brought it up before many times. But one of the things that really tends to take people out in terms of procrastination is distraction. Oftentimes, like if, you know, I'm trying to say study, you know, again, learning that new language or when I was in school, if, you know, if anyone's goal here is to achieve better academically or through our education, you know, one of the biggest things that I did to distract myself to procrastinate was I would start cleaning the house or, you know, man, you know, I got to sit down and learn something. Well, wait a minute. I got to do the dishes. Oh, wait, I got to go vacuum. Well, those things are important and needed. It was just a form of procrastination, distraction, certainly social media doing those kind of things is huge. So really managing our time is very important. If we need to get up earlier or stay up later or reshuffle the deck in terms of our schedule throughout the day, look at those kind of things. Again, we're working with time. One of the tips that's given to people and if they're going to go do a behavioral change, if they're going to take on reading or they're going to take on a physical activity, the two-minute rule. Just make whatever you're trying to do two minutes. So if I want to be physically active, just say to yourself, I'm going to get to the gym and for two minutes, I'm going to do an exercise. Not promising yourself you're going to do any more than that. If I want to read more, I'm just going to read a paragraph. I'm just going to open the book, do two minutes. So I'm going to journal, just write one sentence down. Something that's a very low-hanging fruit. And usually, with that two minutes, we'll build inertia for the next minute, for the next minute, for the next minute. And all of a sudden, instead of being in the gym for two minutes doing one exercise, then maybe you're in the gym for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes. Instead of reading just a paragraph for two minutes, you might find yourself reading a few pages. 
but it might just be the two minutes and that's okay too. Then to go back to the next day, two minutes, and then see if it bleeds into more time. Also within time, thinking about anything that we can be doing within the transitions of our day. Is there something that we can be doing with the dead time that happens in our day? We recently did an interview, which I recommend when it comes out, long form interview with Kathy Powell. She works with a family network on disabilities. And she would talk about, you know, one of her goals was to learn as much as she could about autism and parent supports, you know, for children that have autism. And um, when she would be at the doctor, instead of reading a crummy magazine or scrolling through, you know, social media, she would use that time to learn more about autism and raising children who have autism because she, you know, as a child that has autism, she's trying to figure out how to be a better parent and to be able to do those things. She was taking what potentially could be dead time and making it a lifetime. Look, we're in a pandemic and certainly we're more restricted than what we can and can't do. I find that the people that are being the most successful during this time is taking any of that dead time, which they could be spending binge watching Netflix or playing video games. And instead they're developing skills. So look at all the time that you could be putting to more productive use, taking that dead time, make it a lifetime. But again, you know, one of the how-tos is really looking and going into how we're managing our time. All right, so that's a big how-to right there. Another one is, uh, I believe we're on to uh, number six now, and the how-tos is really managing our social interactions that we have with people to adhere to the behavior change? Do we have any role models that are out there for us to be more physically active, to eat better, to give up, you know, alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs? There's all kinds of AA, one of the, the most successful programs, uh, or NA in Narcotics Anonymous, is that program, and it's because it matches them with a sponsor, someone that holds them accountable for their behavior and, and those kind of things, and, and often can be a role model for them in doing it. But telling somebody that you're going to be taking on a behavioral change leads to more success and being able to take that on because it is almost having an accountability buddy and in having somebody that you've told again we're creatures that are social we want social acceptance of others if we put it out there to people we're more likely to achieve it because so it's, it's kind of that social contract that we have and we put out there to people and to be able to do that. And I even had this when I was uh, teaching at the University of Florida and we were going through behavioral change assignment that we would do with students. We would have them sign a social contract, like a little contract saying, you know, with a friend that they have that I commit to sleeping eight hours a night. And this person would sign that on a piece of paper with their name, date it, and then they would tell a friend, show them the piece of paper, and their friend would sign the contract. And, and we did this because it is more likely we're going to adhere to a behavior when we tell somebody, let alone have them sign you know, a contract that says, I'm going to be doing X, Y, and Z. And having somebody sign on to that, it's just at a level of accountability that we have. And then surrounding ourselves too, like socially, with people that are doing the behavior that we're doing where it is more accepted. Again, if we've got a lot of friends that are into drinking or smoking or whatever it is, it's going to be very hard to change that habit. Surrounding yourself with a set of friends that, that don't do that or you know, if we're taking up reading and you know we want to become part of a book club maybe or a bunch of you know, group that, of people that are actually reading a book together 
and surrounding ourselves with people that are doing the behavior where social cues of, of favorable opinions or feedback that we can get from a group of people that are actually doing what we're seeking to do is huge. We are social creatures. We look for approval from others. And so setting ourselves up that we have you know, a community of people that are taking on and doing what we're doing is a very important part of this. All right, another how-to is our environment. What are we doing with our environment to really set ourselves up for success? So James Clear, he wrote the book on atomic habits. So check that out. He's got some really good information on that uh, that needs to be looked at. It's very interesting. So any behavioral change that we're taking, check out atomic habits. But he talks about himself and his addiction to social media. So one of the things he did environmentally, I'll call this, is that he would give his assistant because he's like a very famous author and has a personal assistant must be nice but he gave his assistant all his social media passwords and you know didn't save him or anything told her to actually make the passwords for him and to hide them from him throughout the work week and only give them to him on like a certain day then take that from him redo the passwords and it had this control to where even if he wanted to, he couldn't access his social media. He had this like environmental restriction and control on being able to do that. I know this from people who are trying to not text and drive. They will put their phone in the car trunk, put it in the trunk of their car. They can't even get to it. They just now automatically have put that out somewhere else. If you're trying to eat healthier, remove all the unhealthy food from <laughs> the house or if you're at the office or you know, where it can be in reach. So when our will or our discipline or our motivation wanes, making sure that our environment that we're in is aligned in a way that you know, we're not gonna be thrown off. I mean, you just go to a, uh, any kind of store, if you're shopping, notice how things that are at a certain eye level uh, and those things that are at eye level are at certain places when people are in the store, they're more likely to get bought. The reason being is because the environment people are in. It's very predictable. And people that are selling things know this very well. So they put things that you know we're more likely to see, things that we're more likely to see, we're more likely to purchase. And so our environment matters so much if we're trying to change our behavior. So really think about any of the environmental controls that you can put out there to be successful in your change. All right, another how-to here, rewards. Reward yourself along the way. Have incentives for you know adhering to it. So if you get through the, a book, you know, you're trying to read a book or you just get through a chapter, have something in place that's going to be, you know, rewarding to you to get to this. And there's also been rewards for people that are trying to eat healthier. So I'm going to eat healthier 6 days a week and then on the 7th day, if I'm successful, I'm just going to have whatever I want to eat kind of a day or a meal or a certain type of food or a snack or whatever it is. And that's a really good one too. So it kind of can sound antithetical. So I'm trying to eat healthier. Why would I reward myself with unhealthy eating? Well, the rewards are important, but also what is shown over time through science is that, you know, oftentimes that reward, if it's unhealthy eating or, you know, for that day is becomes less satisfying and actually is something that, if, especially if it's, say, sugar, becomes less tasty than if we've eliminated it six days a week and we have it on the seventh day. After a while, people will give up that seventh day too. So that's a very interesting thing there if it's related to eating. But, you know, whatever it might be, Think about what is rewarding to you. If uh, taking yourself shopping or getting something, you know, or going and doing something could be a reward and incentive that you find delightful to do. If after some time you've been at it and you've been changing 
or if you're just attempting, you know, you're putting yourself out there, just, you know, rewarding the effort, not necessarily even sometimes the outcome can be very important. We do work off of incentives. And so having those reinforcers of rewards are very important. And, you know, starting out your day for success, another how-to intention. So the uh, starting out the day and being very intentional about your day. Uh, we talked about morning routines. If you get up later than that. So whenever you wake up, trying to really set your intention for the day, visualize the day ahead of yourself. Visualize your success that you're going to have in either making more friends or practicing forgiveness or being grateful or being empathetic or being more physically active or not smoking or drinking or whatever it is, set the intentions at the beginning of the day. Visualize yourself doing what it is that you need to do for the rest of the day. Visualization and success is very important. Athletes do it all the time and to achieve their success. So use intention, use visualization, have it at a certain time of day, usually at the beginning is a very important one. And so the last how-to that we have here is assess. Being able to measure what you're doing and sometimes that can be a reflection at the end of the day. So reflecting back, was I successful in what I did? Why was I successful? If you weren't successful, why was I not successful? It could be at the end of the day. It could be at the end of the week. Give yourself a score. Have a tracker. Get a smiley face. Get a cloud that's raining you know, on a day and do almost like a tracker, day-by-day -day tracker. If you're able to succeed or not, over time you'll be able to do that. A journal is a really good way to assess as well. So making sure that we're assessing along the way is a very important piece of the how-to because then when we can measure you know we can manage so we can't manage what we, we are not measuring so measuring our success is very important so I'm going to quickly summarize the basics and the how to adapt to a, a behavioral change setting goals but the right goals education skill and confidence number two you know making sure that we have the education building the skill and that's getting the confidence number three use resources number four identify the barriers that are out there and create if then plans for when those barriers may manifest themselves number five time managing this priceless finite resource that we have and maximizing the most that we can from it number six social controls, making sure that we're controlling our social inputs and what we're exposed to socially is huge. Number seven, environmental controls. Number eight, rewarding our behaviors. Number nine, being very intentional and visualizing our success and our behaviors. And number 10, assessing how we're doing, managing through measuring and iterating based on what we're measuring and learning, continuous improvement modeling. So those are our big 10. And I did mention James Clear, so you're gonna get a bonus round in here because I think what he has put out there into the world is very important for people to, to hear. He put out this book, Atomic Habits. And what he um, postulates and is backed up, and it's very evidence-based and practiced, is that if we get better every day by 1%, 1% better, so if we're trying to read, read one page. If we're trying to be physically active, just be active for five minutes. One percent better if we're trying to eat healthier. You know, just maybe, you know, a portion of a meal, you know, eating a little healthier. If we get one percent better every day for one year, we will be 37 times better than we were. One percent stacks to becoming exponential. So the atomic is, the metaphor here, is that these very small subatomic little changes, 1%, very small, leads to a very big, 37 times bigger atomic, explosively big and massive atomic change. So it's kind of this double 
metaphor that's there from the very small 1% to the very big. He really goes into some very interesting things, which I kind of sprinkled in uh, to this, is that identity is very important. Process is more important than outcomes. Being very intentional about your goals. So saying that I am going to do this when, where, and how. Bad habits really are made up of a cue, a craving, a response, and a reward. And knowing how to put those four processes of a habit into place is very important in doing any kind of behavioral change. And having just, you know, kind of a stacking habits together. So if we want to, you know, take on the habit of flossing our teeth, doing it after we brush. If we want to take on the habit of drinking more water, Habit stacking on when we eat. Oftentimes, that's a good opportunity for people to be hydrated, but they don't do it then. They try to do it throughout the day. Do it while you eat. So habit stacking is a very big one there. But I do want to plug his book or his material. You can just even, you don't even have to read his book. They have book summaries. They have him interviewed all over the place because it is very powerful. Lots of people are diving into that because it makes it manageable. We're not taking on too much too soon. It's 1% better every day leads us to 37 times greater throughout a year and can be very helpful. So taking on something or giving up something, it's very hard. It takes many times of going back and forth through this cycle to be able to actually spin out and to be able to do it. But this is really what matters. You know, we can talk about being a better person. You know, we can learn about being a better person. You know, we can have the right attitudes about being a better person. We can have the values but it's not until we execute. It is not until we take action or stop taking action on the things that we need to stop in our lives that really it matters. It is really who defines us as people is how we behave, how we conduct ourselves. Again, life is asking us what the meaning of life is and our answers are what we do, what we choose not to do at the end of the day. So, Let's not talk about it anymore and let's be about it. Taking ourselves to the highest level possible, being the best version of ourselves possible, action by action, step by step. It's a thousand mile journey, one step at a time, one percentage at a time. We're trying to eat an elephant. We're not trying to swallow it in one bite. We're doing it mouthful by mouthful until we get to that end of that elephant and we can have it. So said enough here i hope some of this is helpful useful can put into practice the how to's are very much skill oriented those things that we can develop over time to take the action that we need to in our lives to become the best version of ourselves possible taking it onward and upward thanks for listening to the independent life podcast brought to you by the center for independent living of north central florida if you like what you hear please rate review and subscribe And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.